Welcome back to Chat with the Designers, a weekly technical discussion forum for amateur radio homebrewers and experimenters, with your hosts, George, N2APB, and Joe, N2CX. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Chat with the Designers. This is uh, George, your host, N2APB, along with co-host Joe, N2CX, today on May 15th. And tonight's session is going to be uh, concerning remote control techniques for homebrewing hams. And we're going to overview some very basic capabilities that outline technologies and techniques for Controlling various things around a shack, outside the shack, up on the tower, out in your antenna, turning lights on and off, turning volumes up and down, controlling your ATU. We're going to have a good time here tonight, and I hope that you're going to be able to pick up something that you haven't either known about before or had an idea about putting uh, two and two together. Joe and I are going to review some really good technologies that are easy to use. And we're going to review some applications that are also kind of convenient that we found over the years for remote control and and put it to really good use there in your in your shack. If there are any questions along the way, please, by all means, just as Rick did, please interrupt and ask the question, ask for clarification, correct us. We don't know everything for sure. And if you've got a better way of skinning the cat, we would certainly love to hear about it along the way. Uh, Joe, do you want to kind of take us into it a little bit and start us off for this evening? Okay. Uh, there are a number of so-called transport layers. If you if you think of remote control as a, a layered system, as uh, many in the technical industries do, they talk about uh, layers busy being physical layer or uh, applications layer, whatever else. Some of the transport layers, the um, level of ab- abstraction that um, we can use for sending remote control signals from one point to another include uh, several familiar ones uh, we're all familiar with the uh, the clicker the uh, infrared gadget that you use to control your tv set or these days your tv set and that that whole raft of other things that that comprise your home entertainment center it's uh, it's relatively simple it's short range but uh, it works pretty darn well we've got some uh, on the whiteboard there are a couple pictures there's a picture of it looks like a, a caterpillar with a couple bumps on it, which is a, a remote control chip with a couple uh, bumps on it that are actually uh, infrared LEDs. And also one of the familiar handheld uh, le- uh, remote controls. There's a, uh, there's a link to, uh, to look into the technology more. And um, oh, there, there are various, uh, if you've ever had to use a uh, program, a, a remote control, there are a number of different codes that different manufacturers use, but uh, there's all a, a lot of similar, similarity there where they, they transmit uh, digital codes over uh, infrared, short range, perhaps uh, 20, 25 feet at most, but uh, very inexpensive to do, simple and uh, fairly reliable. Uh, another way uh, that is uh, more in line with the way we hands think, RF, is Bluetooth, which is uh, one of the part 15 uh, things up uh, up in uh, UHF. And there are some simple little modules we have shown on the page, two little plug-in modules for uh, Bluetooth that are relatively inexpensive. 
and allow you to do remote control stuff, uh, particularly with a uh, computer or some other uh, a digital processor of some sort. Uh, and along those same lines, there's a another uh, Part 15 device, which is the, uh, um, there's some various frequencies that are used, but uh, one of the popular ones is non-licensed because it's very low power. It's a uh, 433 megahertz transceiver that's actually a little modem board. And uh, there's a link for that on the page also. Very handy, very simple to plug in, uh, but uh, it does require a stinking computer or some other digital logic to go through it. There are also um, uh, UHF boards similar in uh, size and shape to the, um, uh, to the Bluetooth board, a little more range operating in the uh, 2.4 gigahertz band. Um, at most, you can probably get perhaps 100 feet out of them since they use a self-contained antenna, uh, but very handy uh, if you're doing that sort of thing. Um, again, with a computer. Um, other methods that are not RF are RS-232, um, digital uh, communication, that you can use uh, over a direct wire connect. Um, you can run uh, this code or other codes over uh, DC over coax, and we'll show that a little bit later. You can also send tones over coax, tones that are coded or, or particular tones that correspond to a particular type of transmission uh, for what whatever you're doing. Um, and uh, there's another thing that uh, some of us are familiar with, those of us who've uh, been associated with the repeaters. Um, tones, uh, audio sounds and tones. Um, a lot of us have uh, had to be control operators for repeaters. And uh, we use, or those who are involved in that, use tones over the audio channel of a repeater in order to uh, control it. Um, either some sort of uh, DTMF, dual tone multi, multi frequency, or some discrete tones, generally over a uh, an auxiliary control channel. But it's a way to affect um, um, transmission at a distance in order to uh, impose your will on something. Uh, let me throw it back to George. Well, let me say first of all, oh, and I wanted to mention uh, there is another category of. Uh, control that we're not even touching tonight that uh, is very important and becoming more and more important uh, and that is using uh, the internet using internet protocols now you can you can do things virtually worldwide anywhere there's a an internet connection um, with the appropriate hardware and software you can control a rig you do darn near anything but uh, that's beyond the scope of what we're going to be discussing tonight that's much more sophisticated and and a little out of uh, out of reach for the simpler things we're going to do. Uh, let me check first of all if anyone has any questions. I have an application where I would like to be able to signal to something that is uh, a mile or more away. Is it possible to modify CB or GMRS stuff legally uh, to do that signaling? GMRS, I don't believe. Um, CB, maybe. Um, there is um, 
touch. There are um, remote control or radio control channels on CB that have been interpreted as um, allowing you to do something like that. Um, and you could use one of those uh, CB channels to do it. Um, of course, you have the downside of a large antenna, a possibility of interference, but uh, I've done that over shorter ranges indeed uh, on uh, 27255. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's possible there. Uh, I also have done it on the family radio service, 49 megahertz for some uh, short-term uh, testing, only to find out that uh, that's of questionable legality. All right, let me turn it back over to George uh, so that uh, he can uh, look at another aspect of, uh, of a remote control. Just to kind of uh, double back a little bit on what you said, I, I had a ball kind of looking at these different modem boards and sensors and, and, and such when I was doing a search to, to construct the page. And I actually have a couple of these items. I've got one of the, I've got a, a couple, and so does Joe, I have a couple of the 2.4 gigahertz uh, modems, those little boards uh, uh, that are labeled under the UHF category, and also the VHF version, which is uh, 432 megahertz. And they're kind of interesting from the perspective of, and just to give you an example, I was, I have a, I have an intern at, uh, at work, local intern from a local uh, uh, high school. And one day a week, I'm kind of working some advanced technologies with him. And we built up this robot, kind of a typical uh, basic stamp kind of thing. And I was looking to do some remote control with it via NRF link. So I wanted to pick up a board that, uh, a device that would allow a, um, a handheld unit of some sort to transmit a signal and then command the basic stamp robot to turn right, turn left, and so on. Well, I grabbed one of these, and by the way, I didn't mention it, but these devices listed on, the, on their whiteboard here are like $6. Costs more to mail them than it does the, the devices themselves. So you got to think on one hand, it's what a deal. And I'm looking at this what a deal right here. And it's kind of a complex um, modem. Uh, just if you're into microcontrollers and some of the devices that we have available to microcontrollers these days, the different kinds of peripherals, be they A to D converters, D to A's, um, different kinds of um, macro chips, these little modems have uh, internal registers, all different modes of operation, 127 different channels that you can transmit digital data on, and they're really, really capable. Certainly not something that I'm going to pop onto a basic stamp and immediately, well, use within just a few minutes or an hour of, uh, of coding up. So it didn't really serve the purpose, but I really explored what was out there and available. And I was, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. And there's going to be some kind of an application I know where I'm going to be able to use that. And that's kind of what uh, the, the section I'm going to cover here are the different kinds of things that you need to do in order to put control or data over one of these transport links. As I was explaining in the text, um, you've got uh, uh, a basic signal that's being sent. Now, it could be uh, just a, um, a DC level. It could be a, a tone. It could be an RF signal being on and off. It could be something riding along on top of that RF signal. But the intelligence to provide the remote control function on the other side has to be added to these basic transport uh, hardware pieces. 
even even something as simple as the IR link, the infrared link of it at the top of the page. So our the next step that we would consider once we figure out exactly what we want to control and what what uh, technology to use to control it, short range RF, there's a Bluetooth device in there too, which is way cool. Obviously for shorter range, but uh, some very interesting audio possibilities come about with a Bluetooth uh, device. And but you've got to develop a, we need to develop like a driver or higher level application that rides on top of this transport in order to impose or inject the different kinds of control signals that we're doing. And that, by the way, is going to be a bit of the focus for tonight's session as far as like ways that you can take an RF link or even just a hard wire that you might be sending some tones across. How do you actually generate different tones to effect different kinds of control at the other end of the wire. Uh, how do you, um, if it's not just a wire, I mean, how do you actually get that um, over to the, the receiver side and, and decode those tones or demodulate those tones such that you can try to interpret them and, and to get contact closures one through four, for example, to, to work based on four different tones that you would put into the system. Well, these are the things that we're going to be talking about. And we got to thinking, Joe and I, about all the different kinds of remote control types of activities and opportunities and situations that we might have around the shack. And uh, we've listed a couple of them here, and some of them are obvious, some of them maybe um, are, are not. So, um, so, um, for example, uh, turning the antenna rotator, um, either clockwise or counterclockwise, and being able to do that here from the shack up to the very top of your antenna without adding any special extra wire might be kind of uh, an interesting thing to consider, uh, especially if you have already have power up there or wherever that rotator might be. Uh, of particular interest to both Joe and me at this time is... Uh, creating an antenna, ten, an ATU, an antenna tuning unit that has the ability to be uh, sitting out at the base of an antenna, say a big vertical out way out in the backyard, and be able to control that thing by means of pushing buttons or turning a dial here on the inside, inside the shack. Um, closing relays to actually um, turn some capacitors um, that would actuate some motors or roller inductors, or tuning the antenna by means of various switches and relays that would close different coils into the circuit, thus giving you a better match. Um, I mentioned the Bluetooth and the application of it toward uh, audio is a wonderful type of application, I think. In fact, if you had, consider a module that you might be able to, a general purpose module that you might be able to plug into any rig or audio amplifier. And with, um, uh, a Bluetooth control or an, even an IR control be able to control that that uh, that instrument's audio, that uh, amplifier's audio output, and maybe even then use the uh, Bluetooth to send the audio over to a set of speakers. Now, audio uh, the Bluetooth is not going to interfere with our ham bands, nor is are uh, uh, some of the other tech technologies that are around these days. So we have an opportunity to have RF floating around in a shack for control purposes, as long as we're somewhat uh, careful about it. And as I said, as the last item there, one of the cool things that 
that uh, is always handy to have. Uh, I was trying to work beer into it, but all I could figure out was uh, starting the microwave automatically to start some popping of uh, popcorn. Um, the fridge is always going, so control of the fridge isn't really too good of a thing for the uh, for the beer. But nonetheless, you get the idea. Um, one of the uh, and and Alan mentioned another use for uh, that I actually heard about too. Some guys using very successfully was having a uh, a a dish up um, or a transmitting station up on top of a mountain, but controlling it from down at the base of the mountain and using some type of an RF link with appropriate modulation demodulation to actually con um, uh, to differentiate those signals and to actually control the equipment up at the top without uh, without being there but these are all some techniques that uh, again you need to uh, we need to figure out ways to simply at least for our purposes to be able to simply um, inject some control signal of some sort on one side and then get that control signal out the other um, to affect that given function. Now, a really interesting twist, and I'll turn it back over to uh, Joe, but an interesting twist is that this can be a bi-directional type of uh, situation. And Joe and I sort of had this situation when several weeks back we were talking about um, the midnight loop and some of our magnetic loop experiments. When we were separated by a tenth of a wavelength, uh, it became really convenient. It would become very convenient to have some type of a bi-directional remote control such that we could control the turning, let's say the, the adjustment of a capacitor. And then if there were a measurement device on that antenna that we wanted to read or determine what its setting was or its, its performance was, wouldn't it be cool to be able to take that, that measured value locally at the, at the distant location and send it back to where we are sitting in the warmth and comfort of a of a shack or wherever that might be, but the bi-directional capability is in the feedback. Of course, is going to be a, very useful in many cases. It's not always just a a one-way type of communication. So overall, when designing your system, selecting your components, it's it's kind of good to keep even that in mind too. Because if you ever want to have data coming back, maybe you can just replicate your your one-way remote control in both directions, or maybe there needs to be a different kind of situation in order to get back the analog values or on-off types of conditions that are happening at the fire uh, location so you can so you can get that feedback and, and know when to stop turning. Um, the, uh, the antenna rotator is a good one. How do you know where it's pointing? You might be able to get, you might be able to sense the direction of the antenna through some type of a compass mechanism being sent back to your to your your operating position in the shack and then you would know when to stop turning the rotator but anyways these are the items we're going to be talking about here today and i think we're going to get into some actually how do we uh maybe how do we inject some real simple signals into a coax which is going to be probably our most common situation as hams we all have coax coming into and out of the out of the shack and that tends to be in addition to carrying RF it tends to be a very convenient transport layer for our remote control signals. Joe? Um, okay very good yeah uh, getting into uh, jumping the gun a little bit but possibly not just to change gears here a little bit um, sending stuff over coax um, can be relatively straightforward um, we have done it here 
and and we have a schematic in the whiteboard which uh, has uh, what we call triplexers, which are um, uh, circuit, small circuits to send three things over a coax. Uh, first of all is the RF, of course. Uh, we don't have the RF uh, source shown here, but sending RF over the coax. And then at both ends of the coax, there are some there is some other circuitry to also allow us to send DC, which could be either DC to power or something at the other end. Um, and in addition, audio to affect some sort of control. And the basic idea is that um, uh, we, we have uh, frequency splitters uh, comprised of chokes, RF chokes. I've indicated uh, 22 microhenry chokes here because I've used them over the HF band from, um, yeah, I see Alan is talking about uh, um, similar bias T's that uh, Yesu uses. These are some uh, some gadgets I've worked up. Anyway, we use uh, chokes to isolate the coax, the uh, RF on the coax to uh, um, allow us with um, simple low-pass filters and other chokes and resistors. I won't go into re real detail. But basically what we're doing is we're splitting everything up into three frequency bands, audio, DC, and RF, so that we can pass it over the coax and then at the other end split them apart again. Um, relatively simple, easy to do, and um, very effective uh, at doing this. Um, I haven't done exactly this, but uh, I, I wrote an article in 73 mag back uh, probably 20 some years ago about a, a remote control over a power line doing something very similar. And um, it used uh, multiple tones. And as it turned out, some guy wrote to me and said, gee, you gave me some really neat ideas. I used that same idea to uh, control my uh, Azel uh, rotors for my moon mount setup over the power line between my shack and the antenna. So a very handy way to go. And relatively simple. It's conceptually simple. Something you can uh, you can really see that um, what you're working on, how the signals are split apart, and uh, and how they work, as opposed to uh, some of the more um, complicated and abstruse digital methods. Um, and as George hinted at, um, some of the things we might want to do is um, doing some remote antenna testing. We have a, a block diagram of, of a conceptual block diagram of some telemetry for antenna testing, where at one end of the, um, the test link, shall we say, we have a, um, uh, uh, a field strength meter to look at an antenna that we're going to rotate. And we output a DC from that uh, log detector, which could be one of the log detector chips uh, like um, we discussed back several weeks ago, analog devices things that produce output, a DC output that is, uh, that corresponds to the RF level in. Then that's used to uh, modulate a voltage controlled audio oscillator to change the oscillator. And that audio tone uh, is then transmitted back to a, uh, a receiver at a monitoring point and there's a corresponding frequency to voltage converter that then converts that uh, DC, that audio tone that corresponds to the, um, the signal strength received 
at the field strength meter, converts it back into DC that, that you, then you can read on a meter. And the meter reading will then show you what the, uh, the field strength is back at the other end. Now this, strictly speaking, isn't remote control. It's telemetry, but you would, uh, you quite possibly could want to use telemetry for this and a secondary channel to do some sort of remote control if you're, uh, if you're doing this testing. And um, this is just a, um, uh, the next picture is just a little more detail, a little higher level detail on what you would do um, with an antenna under test with some sort of transmitter and then the field strength receiver. This shows the two antennas. Oh boy, he just went offline. I guess he's having some problems with there. Let me pick it up a little bit before he comes back on and um, mention that along the same lines of um, the coax signal, uh, or injecting signals on the, along the coax line, a very practical, another example that is actually being used right now um, by the CUBE um, and the SDR CUBE project is that we actually inject the PTT signal onto the coax signal, onto the coax, such that downstream, a, another amplifier that's connected to the cube would be able to take off that uh, DC signal and use that as the basis for a key, um, a key in, or the key line, and thus turn in the transmitter, uh, the amplifier in to transmit mode. So with a small modification on the cube's um, output uh, low-pass filter on, when it's transmitting, and this, by the way, is applicable on any transmitter, um, one is able to take that, uh, um, take the local PTT signal, that's the signal that goes low to indicate that transmit is being commanded, and use that to gate a DC voltage onto the coax right coming out of the rig through appropriate decoupling, like Joe has indicated, typically a 22 microhenry uh, or millhenry um, um, inductor, and um, and then on the amplifier side, outside the you know in, in the companion box, use that uh, another inductor to take off that DC signal. It won't take off the RF because of the inductor, and you're appropriately decoupling from it. And use that as the PTT circuit uh, trigger to turn the amplifier on. Yet another example of this is um, using what we call the Yesu standard for band switching. A transmitter, of all of all of Yesu's uh, radios, such as the FT817 and, and etc., inject a, an, a DC level an actual DC level onto their coax, which is indica uh, indicative of the band to which the trans the rig is tuned. So if you're tuned to something like 80 meters, that voltage that's put on the coax would be maybe on the order of um, one volt. If you switch to 40 meters, that DC voltage that gets injected onto the audio or onto the RF path onto the coax goes uh, and increases to maybe 1.5 volts and so on. On the receive, uh, on companion devices that um, the ASU rigs are plugged into, and again the SDR cube follows that same technique, uh, implements that same technique, 
companion devices plugged into it uh, by means of the RF uh, coax is uh, able to pick off that DC signal and then change its setting accordingly. So you might have an auto band switching amplifier that not only is able to go into transmit mode based on the PTT level that was injected onto the coax, but also determine what band it should be automatically tuned to. So there are many other techniques, uh, you know, like what we're, like we're getting to, and, uh, and it's, it's really kind of a handy thing to be doing. Are there questions at this point here? And we can stop and maybe get a little interactive discussion while, while Joe comes back online. Hey, George, it's Alan. Um, I'm curious, uh, I wasn't familiar with that Yesu uh, kind of standard of putting a DC bias on the coax. Uh, is that only during receive or is it there all the time? I think, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think it's only during transmit when it's keyed, uh, but I can't say that for sure. I don't know. Okay, because I know that a lot of those rigs, you know, like the... Um, the Yaesu 817 and some of the other Yaesu rigs, you know, they also you know, will automatically adjust or tune the ATAS-120 and ATAS-100 uh, screwdriver antennas by putting DC on the coax. And, and that's typically, I think it's, uh, if they put, you know, like 12 volts on, the antenna goes up. If they put 8 volts on, it goes down. But uh, I guess I would imagine that if they're also using DC to encode the band that you're on, it must be lower than the lower th lowest threshold that that antenna is going to respond to. Yeah, that's a good point. And now that you're saying it, I had a screwdriver antenna one time, and, and definitely it was a res it was that that control signal was placed on during receive because you could actually peak the receive based on the way that you were tuning the antenna via the method uh, we're talking about here. Um, and yeah, if you're using a PTT signal, um, it, it could be the PTT being an on-off type of signal could be just a gated value of the band switch uh, level as long as the most sensitive or the lowest level of the band indication. In my example, I think I used one volt. As long as one volt is able to be detected on the, on the amplifier side such that the change to change bands reliably. So I'll bet you, I bet you that it's on there all the time, just to kind of close out that. And um, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure if you can, if they are mutually, um, um, if, if they can be used in the same tech, if that, those two techniques can be used at the same time. But I know in the in the cube it cannot, for the reasons I think you were alluding to. It's either going to be band switched data being injected onto the coax, or just um, um, PTT, key in, the key line being imposed onto it. If you take a look at figure two in the whiteboard, it's entitled HSP two-band remote switch tuner. I'm not sure exactly what HSP was. This is an extract from one of Joe's uh, uh, circuits, I think. But it illustrates the, the, the principles that we're talking about here, such that, uh, let me change fingers such that on the right-hand side, you've got the control head, and that's where you would be, for example. And you would be able to, by means of that double-pull, double-throw switch, you would be able to um, turn on a, uh, you would be able to select either a plus or a minus voltage being applied or um, being applied to the coax whenever that momentary push button is, is pressed. That's it. That DC level goes through 
the 22 microhenry um, inductor and then ultimately gets over to the other side where um, a relay is going to be turned on by means of that that's that that uh, signal when you press the, the momentary push button and um, it is going to either select coil for 20 meter or coil for 40 meter again dependent on the switch setting for the polarity of the signal on the right hand side so um, you get a bit of an implementation idea on how simple something can be if you just want to do effect two different uh, types of control uh, you know mom momentary on off or a low level of a low, a low number of um, of control functions that are being um, added to your system. Sorry about that. Uh, I had to go reset my uh, uh, router. There you go, Joe. Okay, glad it was. That's all it was. I just kind of amplified a little bit on your figure two, the HSP two band remote tuner uh, switch tuner, and ways that we can get different kinds of control from the control side on the right to the controlled side on the left. The basic idea there was that I just used latching relays, single coil latching relays, and I was able to um, to switch polarity, which is what I'm sure you said, to uh, to flip the relay at the uh, relays at the far end. But um, that's that's just, that's the gist of it. Yeah, I, I just had an idea there, George. Suppose you had a uh, like a rotary switch where you change, you know, the rotary switch to change relays and then uh, be able to control different inductors uh, on sort of a fixed type tuner. Uh, would that idea also work through the coax? Yeah, that would work. Uh, you'd need uh, some means of rotating the, um, the rotary switch to, um, not exactly sure what you mean, but something could be done along those lines. You'd need something to translate the rotary switch position from the one end to the other end, uh, Dave. You could use a stepper motor, something like that to, to do it. But uh, um, yeah, it could be done. Has anybody else implemented some kind of remote control, even if you just kind of purchase something on your own um, from from, uh, from Jameco or All Electronics or Radio Shack or something, or have you whipped up something on your own to remotely control a device around, uh, around the shack? Well, actually, scrolling down, uh, talk about doing some uh, uh, tone post uh, excuse me pulsed tone type of encoding uh, I did something like that years ago more of a telemetry application uh, for a friend where we, were, we instrumented a, uh, a go-kart uh, guy was racing these you know 50 60 mile an hour go-karts and we instrumented uh, a bunch of uh, things like engine rpm and throttle position and brake position and stuff like that and um, use the um, uh, post, you know, uh, multi-tone type of thing and record it onto cassette tape. And we were able to record, uh, you know, essentially what was going on, you know, with the, uh, with the car during a race and then later able to play that back along with an audio track into some gauges to see what uh, the car was doing at different points on the track. But it was using the same kind of technique to talk about. It was actually pretty cool. Oh, very good. Yeah, we're indeed going to touch on some of those uh... Uh, Frank mentions uh, he doesn't have he doesn't have a microphone as you see some of his comments here. He's been using XBs um, for remote control, and it's somewhat like the uh, those little modem boards that we showed up at the at the top of the presentation. 
and uh, various protocol support, error correction, confirmation. And I might just add, again, I, I mentioned 127 different channels are possible with that thing. So you can imagine the kind of uh, control bandwidth you might be able to effect with that, those, those two $6 modem uh, little teeny boards. An awful lot of data could be going back and forth. And for the right application, it might be just the right kind of solution. And Frank gave a, a bit of a, a link to the XB. That's XBEE um, technology, which is uh, on DigiKey, and he says it's about uh, $23 for each modem. Okay, what we wanted to do, kind of like during the second half, and we're going to accelerate it just a little bit, but all of the information is there. You've probably been looking and browsing over it. We had, Joe, Joe and I had designed a uh, um, an on-off, uh, remote control on-off keying type of system that we we lovingly call the Rookie, R-O-O-K-E-Y, remote on-off key. And uh, a little board that implemented a pickaxe and a tone decoder on a, on a simple little board, inexpensive, easy to build, all through whole parts, yada, yada. And it really ended up being a, a very versatile building block. I use the word seminal in the description as far as the kind of seminal work that we're talking about here. And what that really means is that some of the foundation concepts and principles that we're talking about are able to be e extrapolated through your own experimentation and to provide a solution that might be very unique to your situation, but, you know, kind of interesting for you. And we felt that it would be a really interesting thing to talk about this uh, rookie uh, design and what it does and show some of the implementation schemes that we, we did for it. But in a nutshell, the main rookie board is uh, shown in, in kind of in operation there, but on the right-hand side, the close-up view with the four LEDs, actually five LEDs, I think, hang on. Yeah, there's four LEDs, uh, five LEDs total. Four LEDs or four channels of on-off are, are, are able to be connect uh, controlled. And then there's one LED on the left-hand side of the board that gives uh, an indication of when the incoming tone is being is, is being received properly. See, the whole idea for the rookie is that we deliver a tone um, that is on-off modulated. So let's just say one kilohertz or something. If it's a one kilohertz tone that is being sent over wire, over an RF link, or whatever, but ultimately gets input to that left-hand jack, J1. And then that uh, LMC 567 tone decoder, phase lock loop tone decoder, the chip on the left is tuned to that very frequency of one kilohertz, let's say. And when a one kilohertz tone is coming in, that LED is on. And also that there's an output bit that gets sent over to the pickaxe controller on the right. So if you're sending an on-off tone, on-off, 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 that LED on the left-hand side is going to go on-off, on-off, on-off. And the bit going over to the pick on the right-hand side is going to be going on-off, on-off, on-off in, in the same manner. So if there were, again, a wire connecting it or a radio link that was delivering that audio signal to the rookie board, um, where, and if that... That, uh, that audio signal were modulated in some fashion that was able to be interpreted by the pickaxe, the controller, 
and uh, to as to select function one, function two, function three, or function four, you would have yourself a really nice decoded uh, back end. So your rotator control could go, this could be located with your rotator controller. This could be located with your ATU relays and motors that are going to adjust the ATU. And what you would do is send the tone in a certain manner from your station out the coax, for example, out to the way in the backyard, and then I'll pick it off the coax with the with the inductor and decoupling mechanisms that Joe covered. You'd be able to take that audio signal, put it into this little inexpensive board, and actually decode the one of four functions that are being sent. So it's a very cool way to it can be used for an awful lot of different uh, functions and capabilities. And we constructed this thing for an Atlanticon some years ago. And it was a great, it was great fun um, having a contest with people who built up this board and actually seeing how they would, uh, how would they be able to use it, uh, along with, uh, you know, in, included with this little, with this little kit is like a, an FM receiver, that pink receiver shown in there is an actual receiver. And we transmitted signals over the FM band, took the signal out of the earphone plug of the FM receiver, put it into the rookie. And again, that tone uh, was decoded or, or not. And the pickaxe was able to interpret the pulses that were coming in. Yeah. So it was, you know, what we wanted to do today was to kind of at least go through, the, go through this design and show you how these principles could be applied in a relatively straightforward manner and used to control some of your own applications. But a lot of the trick with this one, there's always a little bit of secret sauce. In this case here, the secret sauce is actually how the tone is modulated. Remember I talked about earlier, the transport is just a tone or no tone. It doesn't give you too much control capability of something either being on or off. But if you can modulate that tone, um, you, you'll have yourself a much more capable remote control system. We'll toss it over to Joe in just a second here. And hopefully, you know, what we can do is go through um, the relatively high level description of what the tone sequences we used and how we were able to encode the, that audio signal in a really simplistic manner in order to get four controls of, uh, uh, four channels of remote control. And the techniques could be really cascaded and, and uh, stacked up side by side to get an awful lot more types of controls by extending some of the tones. Yes, indeed. Uh, as George said, what we did was um, we sent audio, which can be passed over uh, any sort of link, and we pulsed the audio. We turned it on and off. There is a uh, description of um, what we did um, on, the, on the whiteboard. Um, and in order to be able to uh, decode what we're sending over these on-off um, um, tones, the on-off pattern of the tones, we, uh, George actually came up with a structure for this. It's a start-stop thing, uh, somewhat analogous to the way uh, RTTY works. Uh, with no signal coming in, uh, the thing sits there quiescent. Then we have a start bit, which is uh, half a second long. So the, the pickaxe sees that the tone is detected by the tone decoder for half a second. And he says, aha, I have a a data packet, a data uh, message coming in. So that then after that 500 millisecond uh, steady tone comes on, he starts ticking off time. And we had several time slots in, um, 
uh, allocated uh, to look for the tone, and um, they were 50 millisecond time slots. So then the pickaxe looks in those multiple time slots and sees whether or not there's a signal going. Um, if there's a if there's a, uh, a high a tone detected during that time slot, it's a, a logical one. If there's no tone, it's a logical zero. So actually with uh, with those three bits, you can get eight bits of information. You get eight um, levels of information, two to the eighth, the binary pattern. So that then uh, the um, during that, that period, we know that we've sent one of the uh, valid codes. And then after the 150 millisecond data period, there's a quiet period of another 500 milliseconds, which is framing to tell the uh, the pickaxe that uh, there's no more data coming, that that, uh, that one uh, quantum of information has been passed, passed over. We picked relatively long times so that uh, short impulse noise or, or little fades wouldn't, uh, wouldn't give us problems. And it's also um, set up so that it could be modular. We only needed to pass two bits to encode uh, four different states. But uh, indeed, you could attack other, you could attack uh, additional time periods on there so that you could send more bits. Every time you stick another bit in there, you, you double the number of combinations that, uh, that you can send. Um, I believe on, there is a reference on the web page where you can actually see the code of what was sent. But it's a modular thing, relatively simple and uh, fairly robust to be able to send those discrete just uh, with simple on-off keying uh, in the matter of um, many uh, digital transmission schemes. Um, and the decoding is, is uh, like I say, it's, uh, it's unique. You, uh, you get a discrete for each individual pattern and each pattern is passed um, every, uh, every, basically every two seconds. So that it updates in that period. Uh, very simple, uh, fairly uh, easy to, uh, once, you, once you get through the, uh, oh my gosh, um, the description of what's being sent. It's a relatively simple thing to understand. Very little um, uh, complication involved. Something that uh, the average ham should, should easily be able to understand. What George didn't mention was that um, the, we had a competition at Atlanticon. What we used these uh, rookies for was we had a multiplicity of encoders sending out signals on the FM band. Each one had an individual uh, code to it. It was one through four. Actually, I, th I think we did use four. And then what we did, we had uh, participants in this walking around a room trying to find what was basically hidden transmitters. And as they ticked off uh, the, the individual lights on their um, receivers, on their rookie boards receiving, they could see that they located transmitter one, transmitter two, transmitter three, and transmitter four. So kind of an interesting twist on, uh, on a hidden transmitter hunt for hams. Um, I think that's about what I want to say on the rookie board. There's a lot more information on the web page about setup and what we did and uh, 
Indeed, there's some amplifying information if you want to extend this remote control sort of thing to uh, to drive other um, other devices, um, some driver circuits, ideas for driver circuits, and some logic to uh, to extend this. And indeed, there's also a, a parts list if you want to womp it up yourself. If you dial down to uh, the whiteboard area that shows the schematic, it's kind of an interesting. Um, simple schematic but there, there's a bunch of stuff there and to sort of pique your interest or to to kind of uh, help you pay attention a little bit more um, in a matter of the cwtd chat with the designer types of projects that we've been doing this year um, the previous ones have been the the sic card the other one has been the growler the other one has been the uh, oh golly i've forgotten now um the rainbow tuner of course those are all kits that are that are actually in progress and we we are doing them again or for the first time and making them available to you guys the attendees here of the chat with the designer session same too with this rookie thing what we decided to do is to kind of resurface the uh, uh, the project I had some uh, leftover circuit boards and Joe and I have been collecting parts and kind of gathering things and we're able actually to to make these things available right now um, and um, again, per the usual deal, for those who, you know, the, uh, the 30 or 35 or so that are listening here tonight, will have the opportunity to get it at uh, just about cost. And I'll, I'll later on tell what, the, what that is. And then whatever's left over, we're going to be, we'll, we'll sell it to the general QRP type of uh, homebrewing community. But in a nutshell, what you see in the schematic is everything that's in the uh, in in the bag of parts, and it's and, and then a little bit more on top of that too, but it's a circuit board that contains those two chips: the tone decoder, the 567 tone decoder, and the pickaxe, a pre-programmed pickaxe. I think it's pre-programmed. Oh my gosh, I have to check that out. And uh, containing the algorithm that Joe was overviewing for receiving and you know decoding the the tones that were that are sent to it and of course the leds to indicate the different channels that are being uh, controlled and you can tap off of those functions one two three and four appropriately to control whatever you might want to control there around a shack um, also included in the, in the kit is a, an fm receiver um, just as it's pictured there that pink receiver is, is there a, a pair of earbud uh, cheapy cheapy earbuds um, a nice uh, three-eighths inch to, oh, actually, it's mono to mono, mono a mono uh, audio patch cable is, uh, again, pretty much just what you see in the, in the photograph up at the top. The circuits are self-calibrating. Well, actually, you, you calibrate it, but it's set, it's set it up such that you can calibrate the, the tone decoder. The pickaxe generates a tone, a test tone, that you, through a jumper, connect over to the uh, U1 567 tone decoder and then you adjust the, um, the control resistor R10 until the light comes on and um, then you're all set. All you have to do is attach 9 volt battery and uh, pump some tones into it. But where do you get the tones? Well, as it turns out that very same board, another one, is also in the kit that um, requires a little bit of work uh, to add some missing wires. It was one of the prototype boards. but with that um, 
with that board and another pickaxe that you would you would provide there, uh, we have the algorithm or the software program to generate tones. So in other words, with you would have two boards, the rookie board on the right, let's say, and the tone generator board on the left. You could interconnect them with just the audio patch cable, with um, by transmitting it over an FM receiver, by coupling it onto a coax using the uh, the triplexer method that Joe's overviewed here tonight. Any number of means, I would send it over by uh, IR infrared or by Bluetooth or by 432 uh, megahertz or even by you know, 2.4 gigahertz RF links. So these boards would go on either side of that and you'd be able to control at least four functions using some of the basics that are that are kind of all on this page. So it's kind of a real fun way to have a ready-made little platform for experimenting if you're if you're kind of interested in that and use the uh, the basics or the foundation that we provided for communicating from one board to the other by means of this audio tone and essentially see what you might be able to do with it maybe again it's just going to be lighting a light just for a uh, uh, to play game play games with the kids or the cat or indeed to control something out at the far end of the antenna um, you can have your, your rookie board out there with this 9-volt battery, and the uh, current draws low, and uh, it can last for a while. But these are the techniques that we we wanted to really review with you tonight that it, it show the fundamentals of how you can do some basic on-off keying in a very um, in a structured manner through some timing and like RS-232 or RIDI type of uh, serial communications of that on-off keying to affect some really uh, fancy control. You've got the basic tools and the building blocks at your disposal. And uh, even if you didn't want to get the boards and such, it's the pickaxe is a really easy um, controller to whip up, as we've talked about in past sessions. And even the rookie, you know, this, this shows you how you can. it's easy to program. There's a little, little adapter for connecting up to your RS-232 on, the, on your computer output port or through an appropriate adapter to a USB uh, converter. And then you can actually take the source code that's located here on the web page and download it to your pickaxe and uh, have it control your, your board or put your own little program in there as well. But um, later down, down a little bit further on the, uh, on the whiteboard, you see some different uh, techniques that we, we showed how to interface the, uh, the digital outputs of the rookie to some real-life loads, whether you want to uh, connect it up to control a relay, um, where you have a little bit heavier load and add, add a, a squelching diode or a quenching diode to take care of the inductive uh, kickback to protect uh, the rookie's output, adding a driver transit, a driver uh, MOSFET such as a 2N7000 or maybe even just using a ULN 2003, which is a very popular driver that has those snubbing diodes already uh, already in there. But as the last diagram kind of shows, you could you could get in the diagram shows eight different functions with uh, an appropriate little decoder chip that's that's connected into your system too. So whether it's uh, you know a control function for one item or one one uh, control channel or up to eight or cascade some of these boards if, if you're really interested. 
that's uh, that's what you'll have an opportunity to do. And we at the last league we just showed uh, uh, showed the board mounted in uh, the the, uh, the ever famous uh, uh, Altoids mint tin. So it's it was kind of designed to fit right in there and be nice and convenient uh, and, and packaged. We have a whole boatload of remote control references and pickaxe references at the end of the page per usual in the in the references section and uh, if you get a chance to kind of browse through some of those links I think you'll find them useful and give you some further ideas. There's one especially that um, I forgot which one exactly. Um, no, I, I don't know which but it's in the pickaxe section uh, maybe Elecurls, um perhaps but nonetheless one of those has like a ton of pickaxe applications that uh, you could easily wire up these are inexpensive chips only eight pins in the smallest package and uh, it doesn't take much to, to wire it up and to get it programmed as we've talked about before so we, we encourage you to really look at a lot of this information use it uh, uh, to experiment with to kind of take it on to the next step and and try to figure out some new ways to conquer the world what do you think Joe I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. What we're really trying to do is to to uh, um, give folks a an opportunity to uh, play around with uh, some of this remote control stuff. That's relatively simple and straightforward to do. Something that any ham would be able to do inexpensively, just to uh, get a handle on uh, on doing some of the stuff. Uh, and indeed, uh, we would gladly support folks who are uh, trying to do this with um, suggestions for how to go, uh, some um, help in troubleshooting if they, uh, if they want to do a certain thing or uh, suggested circuits to, uh, to get them rolling along. The, uh, that rookie board, uh, as you see with the uh, hard wiring um, in the whiteboard to do the encoder, I've used the same board for a number of things. It's handy to have the darn thing on a board that you can rewire for any number of other pickaxe projects um, without having to come up with your own PC board. It just cut pieces and wire it up as you want. So um, we're encouraging others to go along and uh, to look into some of the uh, possibilities, even with such a simple chip. We've demonstrated remote control, but uh, there are a whole, um, whole spectrum of other things you can do. And indeed, on the whiteboard, there is also a link. I'm trying to find it as, I, as I'm going through. Under the circuit, that, the uh, section that says additional circuits and programs, there's a link. It says, be sure to see the next page for a number of clever and useful programs developed by Dave Gwillem, KB2TQX, using the rookie. Unfortunately, Dave is a silent key, but he came up with uh, some other applications, relatively simple even with that uh, simple 8-bit chip. But uh, it's, it's other possibilities to play with in addition to the uh, remote control stuff. Um, fun little, um, a whole fun little spectrum of things you can do with very simple components. And um, indeed, even the programming is in basic. So it's very, very simple to, to, um, to learn, to use, uh, to debug, and uh, perhaps uh, What's your taste for some more sophisticated programming? All right, so we're about ready to wrap it up here. 
I'd, I'd really be interested in if anybody has done some of their own remote control uh, types of applications or purchased something for the same purpose here to uh, to control your antenna from afar or something, just to hear of your own experience, uh, your own experiences, and share with us, uh, you know, what you found useful. Anybody has used any kind of uh, remote control types of products in the past? Well, this is not quite the ham shack, but I have used the X10 uh, AC line control applications on a couple of occasions. Did not take any kind of programming or clever configuration or whatever, but it's great to reboot the router, which is downstairs. When I want to reboot the router automatically, I can turn it on and off. And uh, actually used to do some home automation stuff uh, in a more elaborate basis. I just don't remember it. It was years and years ago. But uh, to turn things on and off around the house, the uh, like a, a video camera or something like that, the X10 uh, protocol works very well. A great point, Pete. That, I, I forgot all about that. X10 was very popular and probably still is in a variety of forms. Um, and uh, that that's all. They have bi-directional modes on that too. Sure, surely for uh, whether it's keypad entry at the on the front door, temperature sensing, or what have you. Other uh, other comments here for tonight. I was curious whether the uh, uh, the rookie uh, decoder output is sticky, and by that I mean uh, does it retain uh, the the last code that it received until it receives the next code? No, it doesn't. But it's an easy thing to do, either for yourself or we could uh, kind of put it in there for you too. And I thought you were going to be asking, does it hold the output port? in the uh, detected state. It does not do that either, but again, too, that could be easily done. Okay. okay. Uh, this is Terry. Uh, going back to the X10 stuff, I have a lot of X10 in the house. I turn a lot of lights on and some computers and um, cameras, and I've been working with a friend here uh, to do some Arduino stuff, and I've actually got uh, code written for an Arduino that acts as a um, Ethernet or an internet-based uh, device where you can um, use an iPad or an iPhone uh, to send commands to an Arduino, and the Arduino then uh, converts the tones to uh, the pulses necessary to send out to an X10 interface and turn stuff on and off. So, um, yeah, I've been doing quite a bit of junk with the X10s and uh, playing with it a little bit more. Yeah, there's a whole cult of followers regarding X10. All sorts of issues with that too, as far as noise and noise, at least from the past, and being able to either isolate or transmit on purpose across transformer windings from house to house. But nonetheless, for its application, it can be the right thing to do. Other, um, other comments that were here? I've got one. Um, I, all I see is some lights coming on. Mike, go ahead. Hey, this is Mike, KD5KXF. Um, I'm helping a friend of mine work on a magnetic loop. And while it hasn't been wireless remote control, one of the tasks involved with this was actually controlling that variable capacitor. And we, we kind of went through, you know, quite a learning curve of where he started with a cordless screwdriver and hacking that up to, you know, actually using wireless, that's the wireless, excuse me, motor controllers and Arduinos. And that's kind of the next step for the project is going wireless. That's an excellent application of one. I mean, for a couple of reasons, of course, 
Normally you want to locate that magnetic loop far away from any interference. You don't want it close by. You don't want to be running back and forth. And it's a really nice way to kind of uh, control it, tune it in a very safe manner because uh, you don't want to be close to that high voltage when you're, uh, you're transmitting it either. Good, uh, good application there, Mike. Um, Joe, Jesson, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to add that um, one of the things I've been playing around with was uh, Bluetooth, uh, you know, to look at uh, serial in, serial out, with the wireless being the uh, virtual cable in between. And uh, QSD did a nice uh, write-up on that m months ago. The other thing that I find is useful, too, that you can buy these small Wi-Fi modules, serial in, serial out. And, um, and also the lowest power is the uh, Zigbee. Zigbee and best known the flavor that's best known is the uh, XB and that's that's commonly used in Arduino uh, uh, You know our Arduino platforms so just some ideas on getting uh, <clears throat> You know digital serial in serial out Excellent, you know, that's 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 the real thing that I think that most of us as uh, homebrewers and experimenters are really interested in not as much the trend the transport, as we've been taught, calling it, but you know, you put serial in, you get serial out, so it's kind of like a modem, or in some cases, you put remote controls on off signals in, you get them, get them out. It's the control function that we're after, and these days, it's kind of easy to find some of these uh, these uh, modules that transmit at different frequencies and so on, and make it easy for us experimenters. Thanks a lot, Joe. Other comments. Well, this being the uh, 21st century, I'm kind of surprised that uh, you skipped over one of the uh, most widely used remote control methods, uh, which comes with the uh, the Wii computer package, allowing you to move your hands and make uh, rackets on the screen move back and forth. And I believe there's even uh, another uh, computer system now that you don't even need a handheld controller. You just wave your hands so you could... Uh, with the correct interface, of course, control your entire uh, shack just by waving your hand. Uh, it's all in the interface. Tell us about the uh, the Wii interface. I have no idea what its uh, underlying transport or the basic technology is. I actually don't know whether it's infrared or it's a radio link, but of course it has a, a six degree of freedom uh, sensor in it so that you can tell the exact position of the uh, control uh, items that you're the, the control paddles that you hold uh, and I cannot for the life of me think of the name of the other uh, popular uh, console computer that has a, uh, a unit using ultrasound sensors that can uh, sense the position of your body your head your hands however it's uh, however it's programmed yep I, I do believe uh, it um, I, 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 if uh, we probably mentioned it before, but there are a couple of magazines, one of them or two of them have combined now. Circuit Seller Magazine and Elector have combined. These are excellent, excellent hobbyist magazines that really describe on a regular monthly basis tons of projects. And invariably, there is some sensor or some such that fits right along the lines of this discussion group. And I seem to recall various things like what you're talking about. And uh, it might be worthwhile if ever if anyone is ever interested is just to kind of browse over the you know the publicly available 
table of contents and, and such from those magazines. And of course, uh, back issues of QST, QEX, Ham Radio Magazine, 73, even some older technologies are still applicable today. Good stuff all Good around. Stuff. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to add a um, little, uh, amplify a little bit about what um, what the gesture form of communication is, is this, there's a new book out called Making Things See, and they take apart the Connect, which is the other platform that uses vision. Uh, you basically wave your hands and it basically tracks it and controls things through uh, vision, 3D vision. With the connect with a K, K I N E C T. The book is Making Things See by Greg Borenstein. All right. Um, I'll try to write that down so I can get it onto the whiteboard so people can see it. And um, sounds sounds good. Other uh, questions or comments? Hey, this is Mike, KD5KXF. I was just going to mention somebody had talked about the Wii controllers. The Wii controllers have actually been a pretty inexpensive source of components for people that are interested in how Arduino phones work as far as the sensors in them to tell which way they're directed. And a lot of the people in the Arduino um, end of things are really experimenting with those. If you look on the Make blog, which is Make Magazine's blog, you run across some pretty cool projects um, and they're using these things in conjunction with wireless. They are, by the way, they are radio wireless. Um, somebody had asked and didn't know what they were. They're radio wireless, but people are controlling robots and things with them. It's kind of neat. That's great information, Mike. Could you pump, uh, could you put some kind of a link onto our whiteboard here? I mean, onto our text uh, portion of the uh, of the screens and, and just so that I can dig into it a little bit later on too and try to find that even if it's just a keyword at Made Magazine, it would be very uh, helpful, I think, for a lot of guys to know where that is. Make Magazine is another incredible um, resource for projects and ideas. Uh, Adafruit is another one that is uh, a great resource for us. All right, any final questions or comments before we wrap her up for tonight? Do you have any comments on what uh, your transition over to a cloud-based uh, podcast environment for uh, the show? Oh, good, uh, good question, Rick. Yeah, I um, was running out of space on the on the New Jersey QRP uh, website, so one of the options was to just buy more bandwidth, and it was a bandwidth type of thing, not as much the space. Just a lot of people downloading these hundred megabyte chunks of. Uh, uh, MP3 files, so I went to uh, a different different location and had I transferred all of the all of the website and whiteboards and the MP3s there, and I think that'll that'll do us for a while. If anybody has any problems in accessing the information, please let me know. Otherwise, uh, I think we're okay. All right, Joe, why don't you take us home? Okay, very good. And uh, Verizon has kept me up. Okay, uh, what we've tried to do tonight was to present a uh, kind of an overview of uh, doing some remote control and to some extent telemetry. Um, how to uh, get information in terms of uh, control type stuff uh, from, from a person to something else. Something else uh, generally in our context being uh, something ham related, a uh, transmitter or an antenna tuner, 
or uh, some remotely controlled device like a uh, rotator. We um, gave some examples of uh, some ways of doing it, some transport mechanisms to use the highfalutin terminology, via um, a couple different types of radio links, uh, infrared, uh, some ways of sending the control information and other stuff over coax that uh, is of particular interest to uh, to us as hams. And then we went into a particular uh, implementation that we came up with for Atlanticon called the Rookie, which um, allows you to send uh, four discrete um, uh, states over any one of these links using some relatively simple, uh, easy to understand um, circuitry um, in a small microprocessor and some simple electronics to do it. And uh, others have added a number of other interesting things, things we'll have to look at in terms of uh, Wii's and connects, and other ways of uh, getting control information, of, of extracting control information that uh, then can be used for other things. Um, indeed, in the future, I think we may uh, also talk about some things like uh, doing remote control of a rig over uh, the internet, which uh, is of interest to a lot of folks, uh, contesters in particular, who might uh, have a, uh, a, a station somewhere that they want to control from their living room. They might live in a, uh, an antenna-restricted uh, condo. And um, one of the ways of doing that is to have a uh, completely internet-connected uh, um, radio station, a super station on a mountaintop somewhere and doing it via uh, the internet. So indeed, we may, uh, we may uh, have a session on that in the future. For now, we'll keep it low and slow and uh, deal with a couple of discretes. Please look at our uh, whiteboard, look at uh, all the links we've got there. Uh, there's a wealth of information. And uh, thank you all for attending. All right, thanks a lot for wrapping it up, Joe. Uh, so thanks everybody for attending. Really appreciate your attendance here tonight, and we'll see you all next week. This is George, N2APB, and Joe, N2CX, saying 73 all from Chat with the Designers for another, another session. Bye-bye. Please tune in next week for the next session of Chat with the Designers. Thank you.